Shoot a lower score. There's one roll. Scott, you got another book, and we're going to be talking about ways that we might be able to implement it here in this podcast that we're about to listen to. What do you have to say about the Golfer's Playbook here? Well, the Golfer's Playbook is the first and only notebook to take you through critical thought and reflection on your game so that you know exactly what went wrong or right in your practice, what to do about it, and how to continue to get better. I love it. So we're going to be talking a lot in this episode about how you guys can get better and especially talking about how you can practice better is specifically in cracking the code. But if you buy this book, you can do it anywhere in the world. So make sure to check out the golfers playbook and message Scott on Instagram at S golf. If you want to learn more, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to inside the <laughs> studio here at Franklin bridge, where we just had an amazing guest on Ryan Daly who is the co-founder of Operation 36? I believe that's correct. There he and go. Matt, 13 years together, have been uh, building that model. Yeah, which we we learned a lot about it, um, and we've got a whole podcast dedicated to it. So if you guys haven't watched the episode or listened to the episode, How to Shoot Even Par, make sure that you go and check that one out because it is just chocked full of knowledge. Whether you are a junior golfer, a entry-level golfer, somebody who's been playing golf for a long time, mm -hmm. or a parent, I mean, it was just so baffling to me how he went on and on and on about just like, he just added value in every part of the game. And I'm like, why isn't golf just buying him and, I know. and Matt like it's amazing well we we are you know they're uh they're not cheap to use every month but they're fantastic and the resources that are there it's just a matter of um you know there's so many resources if we just think around the world in any industry there's so many resources but we just don't use them you know it's not like we necessarily even need a new you know um project management tool it's like we just need to use the ones that are there and use them well and it's like we just we just keep like thinking that the tool needs to be fixed rather than the users of the tool and they've they're the first ones to really build a really awesome golf app for families and juniors and helping develop culture and it it's beautiful it's awesome love it love it so uh if you guys want to hear more about that episode just Go back and listen to it. It's amazing. But we're going to start off this episode because we got some more knowledge to share with you. So, uh, But first of all, we want to thank our sponsors, Strixon. Uh, we trust them with our game, and they give us the best equipment to do that, and uh, we, we love them a lot. So um, we'll talk about this in this podcast. I know I teased it in the last podcast, and we never got to it. It makes more sense for this one, but I was using my uh, Strixon Cleveland putter in a putting drill that we were doing yep. um, with some juniors yep. that were back on the putting green here at Franklin bridge. And then I was also hitting my ZX seven irons today. And I mean, they just, when you connect with one and connect with them, well, it's just butter, man. Like I've never experienced yeah. that feeling hitting a golf ball before. And it's just, um, it's amazing. So thank you Strixon um, for giving us the equipment to have the best game that we can. So Strixon's awesome. Um, the other one that we really want to touch on today, Arcos. which is huge, is Arcos. And um, Arcos is going to be the exclusive game tracking software and hardware for Cracking the Code 3.0. So That's I'm wearing correct. the shirt right now. If you guys are in the Cracking the Code group, you're going to get one of these shirts, and they're awesome. They're freaking awesome. But a little bit about Arcos. Um, I was playing with Arcos um, a couple weeks ago, and I actually played with them last week when I was over in South Carolina. Yeah. But it's an amazing tool because what what Arcos will do is detect your shots on the course. So you've got little sensors that go into the butt of your clubs. When you swing and hit the golf ball, the sensors recognize that that's a shot. And then when you get yeah. to your next shot and hit the next shot, it'll register your first one and be able to give you data from all over the course once you've finished to be able to figure out where you can improve. So one way that I can improve is my putting. And so, but I didn't know that until I went into my Arcos app and it said that Mike Strokes Gains putting was actually negative. Everything else in my bag, yeah. my irons, my wedges, and my, and my woods, I was actually gaining strokes, but Based I was losing, yeah. Yeah, I was losing, losing tons. tons of strokes in my putting. Yeah. And so it really gave me the knowledge to be like, okay, I need to fix this. And so made sure that I came and, and did a putting drill with you and your two juniors that you were doing uh, earlier today yep. because I realized, thanks to Arcos, that I need really to work on that. So 
Thank you, Arcos. If you guys want to check out Arcos, go to Arcos. Uh, I believe just Google Arcos and you'll find their website. And yep. then you can use our promo code one rule fifteen O N E R U L E one five. Um, and you can get 15% off of your first purchase. So thank you, Arcos, for sponsoring the Champions Playbook and cracking the code for this winner. Yeah, no, and, you know, one thing that's really cool about Arcos, um, I haven't actually talked about it yet on the podcast. I've let you no, do you all haven't, the promoting. Yeah. Um, but there's two really awesome features for me as a teacher. Um, the first one being you can actually see an overlay of the hole and where your shots went. Yeah. And I've actually been able to help players connect with um, and see patterns of when they tend to miss right or tend to miss left or tend to miss short. Like, you can actually see certain hole design and hole features, so then that becomes an educational component about, like, golf course architecture and hole design, how that tends to play with your golf swing and why it messes with your swing in those areas and what to do about it. So it allows us to kind of teach you in a more complete and holistic way rather than just hitting the golf ball. So even if I'm not on the range with you or you're or on the golf course with you or you're not out there with Elijah, um, by bringing that in, we can look at that information and really be incredibly helpful to give you that complete look. The beautiful thing about Arcos, too, is that if you're using the the software and the hardware and you play a similar, or excuse me, the same course multiple times, you can actually learn your tendencies because Arcos mm -hmm. has collected all of that data that on the same course. course. Yeah. So it's amazing. So thank you, Arcos. The, the other thing about it was when I was in the process of writing my first book, and this was about the time Arcos wasn't really developed yet. So as I had been working on my first book and as running classes before I ever wrote the book, I was like, you know, what somebody needs to do one day, like we've got TrackMan and Foresight, GC Quad, and we've got these like tech, components where we can like know what your average shot pattern is can you imagine being able to like play a golf course or think about a golf course and go okay well this shot is here and imagine if it also had like wind patterns and so you could adjust your strategy based on wind patterns it could tell you because i was like well the text there with that like i have coaches are using it in college they like they'll do a printout of the golf course and they'll put north and where the wind patterns are where the winds are at different times because guess what the weather apps tell you where the winds are going to be per hour and how much they're going to be imagine if i had that and i was playing it could tell me what you know i could know exactly what shot to hit well guess what arcos does As oh, yeah. it, once it knows your game once you play enough rounds it will it knows the wind patterns for that day where it is it knows the elevation changes it will tell you what club to hit i had a guy um, during the round, it suggested he hit a certain club three times. He's like, there's no way I should hit this club here or hit that club there. And so I didn't listen to it each of those times because it seemed like so out of the ordinary. Like, I need to hit two extra clubs here or I need to hit one, hit two, two less clubs here. He was so like... He knew the winds were like, I know the winds there. It was wrong every time. He's like, I wish I would have listened to it. <laughs> like, yeah, it works. Like, it... it the data is there to support it, thanks to TrackMan. And, like, they were able to pull it all in one place. So Arcos is incredible. And the reason why I talk about it is, you know, going off the theme of uh, the cracking the code, which is the I want what's real. And we are in a culture, um, and I'm not just saying the United States. I think societally we are in a culture where – we're not consumers. I, I even think consumer mentality is even wrong. We're actually, we want to be entertained. We don't actually want to consume. We want to be entertained. And so uh, the problem with that is that's not actually the best thing for us as humans. Like we're meant to be thinkers. In fact, what makes man really man is the fact that we are a learning animal. And so like the ability for us to learn is is tremendous. And so we've shut that component off. And so how do we know what's real? Like even when we put data into an app by hand, like, okay, I hit this many greens, I hit it to the right here, hit it to the left here. It's still not complete and unbiased. And Arcos takes away the bias. And it is exactly, here's what's real. And then when we look at cracking the code, we're doing that with everybody. I remember I told you in the pack with the podcast where I actually got the phrase, I want what's real, is when we look at your data and I go through and detail out 15 pages worth of your golf swing in each position and everything about each position that I can, 
It's taking me 90 minutes, by the way. I didn't say that in that podcast. It's taking me 90 minutes per, and I've got 34 of them to do. Um, but it's been a wonderful exercise for me as a teacher. So I can see what's real, not just bring in my own bias and my own experience, but to really see it as it really is. It's also what's real for them. And so we have, um, as you can see here in front of me, we've got the golfer's playbook. Um, Erica, who's interned here the last three summers, uh, she helped design the interior. So it's a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, and the cover's her idea too. So, uh, But with it, it's like, how do we reflect? We don't reflect well. We don't pause. We don't stop. We don't meditate. We don't pray. We don't, like, we just go and entertain me. I'm going to work so I can be entertained. And even when I'm at work, I want to be entertained. Like, we don't know how to work and just enjoy this whole process of learning. And the golfer's playbook really takes you through that piece by piece. Love that. And so, um, of course that was a little bit of a long ad read, Sorry, but, but Sorry. hold on. But what I was going to caveat that with is it's kind of the theme of this podcast as well. And is going to be centered around cracking the code and centered around the golfer's playbook here. So we thank Arcos for being a sponsor, but, you're probably going to hear more about them in this podcast because what they do is so relevant to Correct. getting better and the golfer's playbook here. Yeah, And, you know, um, tonight Jack was out there with uh, two of my elite juniors that are in my elite program. So we have a very small number of them intentionally. You don't get into the elites just because you are good enough and you want to be. Like you've got to have the work ethic, you've got the right personality, the right culture, the whole deal. And these two young men that are out there with Jack, for the record, I'm not I'm not in this in this class either. Right. No, Jack just walked up and we were doing an exercise at the end here anyway that I wanted to make sure they knew how to do on their own. And it was oh, it was after dark too, by the way. Uh which makes it even better. Uh but is we're doing this this game, this putting game that goes around and each time you make a putt you advance one, each time you miss a putt you come back one. Guess where I learned this one from? Hank? Nope. Try again. Op thirty six? Nope. Oh, I don't know. You know the other one. It's a person. Erica who? Scott? No. Who? Who do we have on the podcast? Brian? No. Oh, Sue I. Yeah. <laughs> they called it Annika. Uh, and so for Annika Sorenstam. So they called it Annika, but it's from three feet all the way to 12 feet. Now, we didn't have the time to go that far, so I only put it to 10 feet. Hey, I, I was on the 11-foot putt. I know. You, you got, <laughs> I you got pretty there. far. I could have gotten there. It was really good. Um, but... Each time you make when you advance, each time you miss when you come back one. So it's a make one, go up, miss one, come back. And good putters get out of that three, four, and five foot range really fast. Like they don't stay down in those short putts. They get into the six to eight and they kind of hang there. Well, everybody got into the seven eights, but not everybody was able to get and stay there. They get there and they come all the way back and they just hung down these bottom putts. And these two junior golfers are better than Jack from a scoring standpoint on the golf course. And these both of them are in high school. One's a junior, one's a freshman. And <laughs> it's just fun to watch because early on they outpaced Jack and then they kept falling back. They weren't catching the nuance of what their error was. And so I just letting them fail. Like, that's just what I'm doing. And Jack is just cruising. And then he passes by him and stays out ahead of him. And he hangs. Jack starts hanging out between 7 and 10 feet. And they're just hanging in that 5-6, five, 5-6, six, five, six, five, six, make 7, miss 6, miss 5, hit 4, go back to 3, miss a 3, do push-ups because they missed a 3-footer. And, like, like, that kind of little trap that they got in, they kind of got hung down in that bottom spot. But the point was, I looked at him at the end. I said, look. Who won the thing? I'm like, well, Jack, obviously. I was like, yes. I'm not doing that to make you feel bad. I want you to learn something. Is, are you better golfers than Jack? Yes. Is that proven time and time again in your scores? Yes. Not for long. Not, not for long. Now that Jack is armed with Arcos, he knows to work on his putting. <laughs> um, but the, they learned two things. Mindset was one. Jack's mindset was not afraid of going back. It was, I'm going to get to the end, especially as you got a taste of the longer putts. You're like, if you missed one, you're like, I want to get back over there. There was no thought of like, I don't want to go back here. And that's one of the places they're at, right? They're still learning. It's just learning how to flip that into like, I'm getting over there. 
Um, and two is they kept missing the putts on the same side of the hole, on the low side. And one of the things that people do poorly is awareness. And I, this, is a, this is a statement of experience of me teaching. Juniors are better at solving these problems than adults are. Adults can't see the same error that these juniors did, generally speaking. And so what I want them to see is that the only piece that they were missing is they need to play more break on their putts. That's it. But they didn't do it. They'd play like just a tiny bit maybe more or what they thought might be a little more, but they were so afraid of missing on the other side that they didn't go to the other side. And in learning and what we're doing with cracking the code 3.0 is I'm literally breaking everybody down to the rawest, most foundational principles from setup, and then I am teaching them every position. And you know me, I am not a position teacher. But I am taking them through controlling a basic position and increasing their awareness. This is how weak the adult's awareness has been. So I've run, let's see, one, two, three, four. Is that right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, I've done four classes so far, 16 adults. The first assignment is to stop the club horizontal to the ground, which is roughly waist higher, sometimes a little lower than that when it meets horizontal to the ground, right? So your hands haven't gone above your waist. I said, I want you to stop here. I showed it to him multiple times. A couple of times I put a student there before we ever did it as a group. I want you to stop right there. That's position number one. How many adults actually stopped right at position one out of the 16? Probably like one. Zero. Yeah, you wanted to say it was you one wanted or zero. To say zero. I could tell you wanted to say you, zero. You learn in school never to like go with absolutes. It's yeah. like <laughs> literally not a one. They all swung past that. I was like, okay, really basic command. You didn't stop it there. All right, stop it right there. How'd they do on the next try? Like one, like two one or, or three two, yeah. out of the sixteen stopped it there. I was like, what? This is, and you wonder why you don't get better when you play. You can't even control a most basic exercise of I want you to stop the club horizontal. I haven't even asked you to do it right or wrong. Like, I just, like, I don't even care if it's done the wrong way. It's not horizontal to the ground. And so they're not controlling their bodies. And so... The funny thing is, though, is that it's not even a matter of that club position is so important. It's the principle of being able to do it. Bingo. The principle of controlling where my body is. I'm in charge of where my body goes. Um, I've been watching some Caesar Milan. The dog, dog whisperer. whisperer. And the reason why I'm getting so hooked on it right now is not because of the dogs and not because of, you know, some of the ridiculous characters of the adults, but he's an incredible teacher on leadership. He's a, he's a behavioralist in, in oh, a lot of ways. Absolutely incredible. And, and what's crazy is or not the just dog for and the dogs, human, for the human humans. too. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the whole thing is like he understands what leadership is and what it requires and how that looks a little bit different for, you know, dogs versus humans. And so, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's just really cool to watch the leadership of that. And one of the things is teaching them, like, well, you know, we're just struggling again. We were doing great at the ranch. We'd come back. We we're just struggling. It's like, no, you just stop doing what he asked you to do. And, like, you bring him back. He doesn't give him anything new. We do the same thing. It's just, like, a reminder to do it. And it just shows how weak we are, which I think is humbling. We are really weak as people. And we need reminders from other people and other resources to be like, stop it right here. And so for the juniors, the, st the talking point at the end was like, the only thing that separated Jack from them, now your technique is really good in your putting right now too. So like his technique was right where theirs is. And so it's something you could definitely compete in. And two was, I mean, it was just, you had a different mindset. I'm going to get there. And when you got up there and you fell off, you like, how am I going to get back there? They just, and you adjusted. You made the adjustment. And then once you made the adjustment for that hole, you didn't make the error again. Here's another thing too, that I think was really interesting. And I didn't even realize it until we were walking back here to the studio to start the podcast is that um, you mentioned Tiger and you said, man, if I, if I could pick Tiger's brain for five minutes, one oh, of the questions yeah. that I would ask him is how many tournaments did you win with like your D minus game? 
because we talked about you just got to play with what you got sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I think what one thing that might have been different uh, for me versus one of the other gentlemen who was doing it with me, he was like, well, you know, I'm also fighting this, you know, this slight push, push this right. slight push motion that I have with my with my putter. And I was thinking, I'm not even thinking about that when I'm putting like I'm just like, all right. This, that's where the break is, and I just got to hit it there. Like, I'm not thinking, because what I'm thinking that he's doing is being like, all right, I'm pushing, so I got to compensate by making sure my face is straight, and then now I'm not worried about the break, and now I'm missing putts because of all that stuff. And I think my mindset when I was doing this, I didn't even realize that they were there after I passed them, to be completely honest. Right. Like, you I were, was I was just zoned in, me, but yeah. I was just say, thinking, all I was thinking the entire time is, all right, let me set my let me set my line, and then let me make sure I put a decent amount of pace to be able to get it to the hole or get it to where yeah. I need to be. And so I'm curious, um, in your observation of them, do you think they were trying to think about too many things? Because I don't think I don't think there's anything special about what I did. I was just trying to make the putts at the end of the day. Well, I, I think there's two things. I think one is they're not sure what to be aware of. Got it, yeah. And how do I put it together? Like, you should be both aware of your motion, controlling your motion, and you also need to be aware of where you're aiming and what your alignment is. And then you also need to be aware of, number three, would be to be aware of making strategic decisions in putting. People think, I don't need strategy in putting. I'm not going to go into that here. But, like, there's a ton of strategy involved in putting. Even if you are putting bad. And so to the young man's point, he was asking like about my stroke. It's like, it's your stroke, but it's also your strategy. You're not making a good strategic decision either. So like you're compounding your error. And like, if you would impart, and here the funny part is his motion went uh, pulled to the left with the shaft, which actually made him push it, held the face open. And so Guess what happens? The more he aims, the more the less break he plays on that left to right putt. The more aggressive that more, push gets. The more yeah. The more he pulls his body, he keeps trying to pull that handle left, which actually makes the face open more. Yeah, and he pushes. Yeah. And so it's it's a weird, funny dichotomy. It's like, hey man, if you'd actually aim more to the left, you actually would make a better stroke. And so that's the that's the level of awareness that I'm trying to take these boys to, and we'll add some girls next year, most likely that are in the pre elites, but like. That's the level of awareness they have to get to is like you have to be able to solve your problem kind of to Ryan's point. Like I partly need to make you aware of the fact that you have a problem, but I also need to let you just kind of sit in your struggle and realize, hey, man, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. Change something. You know what to change. Change it. And I made that subtle point to both of them. I was like, hey, you both need to play a little more break. And they did it for like one or two putts and then they stopped doing it. What's different, too, that I really want to highlight as well is that what I was waiting for them to do, and again, I'm not saying that I'm any better than them. I'm actually worse no. than them. What I was waiting for them to do is I even I even made a little offhanded comment when I was, like, consistently above them, and I was basically like, come on, guys, come get me kind of yeah. thing. I was waiting for them to stop thinking about how they can start making these putts and just focus on beating me because a lot mm -hmm. of the times – when you just focus on beating somebody, or at least this is my experience, I, I will just fix whatever needs to be fixed just to get there. I, I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to yeah. get there. I'm going to do it. And so I was waiting for them to go into competitor mode rather than analyzation mode. Well, it's funny. Um, I have two brothers-in-law that were both incredible tennis players, and they are incredible ping pong players oh yeah of course you gotta I, bring up ping pong i love <laughs> i, know I you're love good at ping, pong. ping pong and i'm really good at it and i get the several times i play the first you know usually i only get to play one game when the whole family's together so it's not like you get to stand in one spot and play like six games and kind of figure it out it's like if you don't figure it out and play in one game against each person then you're kind of done for the evening but when i finally got some one-on-one -on -one time with them, i'm like i'm tired of losing i'm losing every time i'm getting smoked and i don't get smoked in ping pong and so what I had to do was like, all right, I am not going to lose. Like, I'm just going to decide not to lose anymore. And I went with a different strategy. I just was more patient. I have enough skill to at least get it back instead of trying to be aggressive with them. Let them make the mistake or at least build where I can build a little more confidence in my motion where I can then pick when to be aggressive. And I was able to hang with them and finally win once or twice. Now, they're still better than me. And I'm still going to get beat, but now I can be competitive. And so, 
like you're right. I didn't think about that. Like that makes a lot of sense. Your comment there was very intentional. It wasn't about you being arrogant. It was about getting them to like, hey, flip, like flip that switch. Be competitive. Stop losing. People are like, well, how do I swing faster? Swing faster. How do I, you know, well, how do I stop missing putts? Start making them. And that's why I love playing with Elijah and make White. Make it matter. Uh, right, exactly. Do anything to make the putt. Do it all. Pay attention. That's one of the freeing oh. things about me being a me playing golf now is that I've only been doing this for less than three years. Yeah. And so it's fun for me because I can push myself more than I've ever been able to push myself before. So if I'm like sitting on the couch playing a video game that I'm really good at and somebody else comes and wants to play with me and wants to, you know, try and play with me, yeah. I'll play down to that level. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to beat you. Like, I don't want to beat you really bad. You know, like right. there's like the empathy in me. And I don't know if that's like comes off arrogant or not, but it's like, I've got so much empathy that I just want everybody to have a good time but the freeing thing about me being a new golfer is that i can i'll perform as well as i can and if i'm beating you it's a measuring stick for me to be like oh hell yeah i'm doing i'm doing well like yeah. i i yeah. can consistently have people better than me that i can end up chasing and i think that is where a lot of uh improvement has come for me personally well, and you're not intimidated by getting beat like you know that getting beat is actually a learning opportunity for you to continue to get better. You mentioned to the boys, which I would, thought was really cool that you did this to them, um, was like, you got to play with Austin when he shot the course record here, and Micah shot the course record right before Austin did. I know, it was crazy. Right. It was like, boom, and Micah boom. and Austin were playing together in that round. It was you, me, uh, or you were watching. Or were you playing? I was playing. Okay, it was me and my my buddy. I mean, we might have played a five some, but we were playing so quick it didn't matter. It like was, it, Austin, it was, Micah. It was poor weather that day, and I was doing some teaching and some and some playing here and there. But, but it was Austin, Micah, you, me, and my buddy Kyle. Yeah, and it's like you had mentioned to the to the two young men this evening. You said, you know, I'm not as good, but I'm going to put myself around people and be challenged because like. I want to learn, and it doesn't feel good to shoot 89 when you've got, you know, 72, 73 from me, 65 from Micah, and 63 from Austin. It's just like, goodness, I'm getting lapped, and you start to think, like, I kind of don't even, like, I feel like I'm holding everybody back. Like, but you use that as a place for you to, like, then ask questions and then learn and, like, People that get better at anything ask questions. They don't do it on their own. The whole self-made man thing is just total nonsense. The only caveat that I would add to that point is that um, I think you have to have a certain mindset and able to in order to play with like elite players too. And again, mm. I'm not trying to pump my tires or anything, but uh, one of the one of the gentlemen who was putting with us, he would miss a putt and go like. Ah, gosh, I missed the putt. Like, I missed it. Like, uh, in, and you kept on correcting him, being like, no, you just, you missed the putt. Like, that's it. It's that's just it. A it's putt, just a man. putt. Right? But you can't be somebody who, you can't play with Austin Jean and be one of those people who are like, ah, man, like, this never happens to me. Like, I, you know, I never play this bad. Like, uh, you, you can't do that. You got to really play with those people and have a growth mindset while you're doing it. And that's why I think cracking the code is so beneficial. Cracking the code and op 36 are so beneficial because it builds confidence for you to be able to say, you know what? Like didn't play well today, but like, I know that more is coming. Yeah. I know that it's, it's funny because I've gotten the questions and I had a guy come up and, and mention something today. It's like, you know, I play with my buddies today and like, uh, you know, I really did really poorly in some of these areas and like, but I, when I did it right, when I did the movement I was trying to do and I did it well, it worked. And like, keep in mind, their assignment is to do only slow motion swings and position swings where the ball's going 20 yards. Like we are breaking them down that far and they keep bringing up this like, yeah, I'm playing with, but who cares about your, like, don't sign up for this program if you care about what your buddies are going to think about you. Because guess what? They're going to they're gonna beat on you tooth and nail for the next two months while I break you all the way down and then build you up. But when you come out in March, April, May, you're going to be so far past them. They're going to be like, well, how do I get in and do what you do? It's like, hey, bro, you got to put yourself through misery for four months. 
And, oh, yeah, Scott's not offering that program again until November. And it's so cool, too, because this principle is not something that's new. Like no. it's, I mean, think about martial arts does it all the time. Martial arts. I'm, I'm more thinking about the Navy SEALs. Oh, yeah. the, that first week, that hell week, yep. that's meant to break you down and test your mindset. And then everything after that, like after you have to do your, your yeah. water class and then your demolition class and your arms class, like that is, is yeah, the program is very transparent. That is one of the easier parts of SEAL training. If you can get through hell week, that is really testing yeah. your mental and yeah. I think that's what cracking the code does. And it's, I think that's what these hell for four months. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what these elite junior programs are doing yeah. as well. Is it's breaking them down so much that then when you have then when you have a failure in the future when you're better, it right. ar it arms you to not think on it too much. And what I'm getting to show people is if we take Ryan, this is so cool. This, these all are kind of tying together in kind of neat ways, uh, unintentionally. But as Ryan was mentioning, like. We need to see progress, right? I need to see that myself, I can improve. And you've got 22 handicaps. I can tell you, it's a 22 handicap. People don't feel like they have any control over anything as a 22 handicap. But, hey, guess what? You controlled position one. You learned how to control position one. And they're like, it doesn't matter. I was like, it matters way more than you're giving it credit so for. So much, yeah. It matters because what you're doing is saying, I am in command of my body here. I can be in command of my body here. I can be in command of my body here. Boom, boom. If you can command those positions, you can control anything. You can control it at full speed. But, like, you can't control it at full speed. Why do you think you control Like, if you can't control it, you can't do the most basic task with no speed and no outcome of no ball, no ball being hit, anything. Then you can't control it at full motion with a ball, with pressure, with trees around you. That's one of the one of the things that I think that I actually have on my side is coming from a baseball background. I've never understood um, how people, especially in cracking the code, like have have so much trouble with like a backswing and a forward swing. And to me, like I've definitely gone through enough lessons to refine my swing so much. But I'm like, how do you not know how to, you know, take it back three feet? And I'm I, I'm just I, I realize too that I'm I'm blessed with the ability to play a sport that has a lot of those feels built into it. But if you're somebody new going through this class can be super beneficial because not only does this build confidence and break you down, but it also teaches you, teaches you how to feel in the most broken down manageable ways that you can, which I yeah. think is so valuable, especially for somebody who's never done a swinging sport. Yeah. Well, and one of the other books I'm having them read is mastery by George Leonard, which I've talked so about. Good. And but I'm not just letting them read the book. I want you to read chapters four, seven, and eight. Four is about loving the plateau where you're just working and there's no that is progress. so good, yeah. That's the first chapter they have to read. Oh, I'm man. not even letting them read the introduction one through three. Like you started mm -hmm. chapter four, living and loving being on the plateau and just learning. Like it's just learning. That's all it is. You feel like you're making no progress. It's like I'm just learning. The chapter seven is one of the uh, five key principles that they have of mastery. And there's one and two. So I'm skipping principles one and two, and I go straight to principle seven or principle three uh, in chapter seven. And it's this surrender. So you can see where I'm trying to hit them. And like, they're still not fully surrendering. I was like, let go. Like, let me, oh my gosh, this just seems like so much and so overwhelming. It's like, I know it is. I'm intending it to be that way. Because guess what? You want to shoot 10 shots lower. You don't have control over the most basic skill to get 10 shots lower. Let's get control. Let's learn how to control our body. You, we're just kind of, I don't know. I feel like we're in a culture that's just like, wherever the wind and waves push me, it's all fate. And, you know, I, you know. I believe there's a God who's in control of all the things and like there's purpose to everything and there are some things we just don't get to decide at all. And, but in the same token, like we do get a choice. Change it. Well, it just feels like it's not going to hit it anywhere. I was like, I get that. And the two boys I had, we did slow motion swings today with them and they couldn't hit more than 50 yards. And they feel this desire to just want to hit it as you come down. I was like, that means you're letting your desires control you rather than you being in command of those desires. Like don't let your instincts take over control. 
gain control, gain control. I mean, it sounds like Mr. Miyagi, right? Like wax on, wax off. But it's, it's all about movement. That's, that's all it is at the end of the day. And there happens to be a golf club at the end of it and a ball that gets struck somewhere and we hit it a bunch of times and add it up and you got yourself a score. Like, well, that's the beautiful thing too about mastery. And when you look at, um, gosh, I mean, just look at anybody, look at Roger Federer, look at Albert Pujols, look at Tiger Woods. What do all these people have in common? Well, number one, they're all swinging sports. So I'll give them that. But number two, (laughs) they just, they know, they know how to, how to control these most like finite movements and how have they learned how to do that? Thousands, millions of repetitions, millions of repetitions to where they can feel every single acute piece of the swing. And a lot of people who just want to go knock it around are just like not willing to put in the work and then they wonder why they suck. Yeah. No, you're right. You just put that so blunt. It's so blunt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, but it's true. Like, we're back to the I want what's real. Like, I mentioned about the girls' uh, golf in the last one. Like, I genuinely hate walking in there during the girls are out here for the state. It's not the championship, but it's the, like, regional level. There's, like, you got to get through the first two in order to get to state. Oh, yeah, And yeah, so yeah. they have their first round here. Yeah. And I walk in there. The number of girls that break 80 is very, very low. Mm. The number of girls that break 90 is higher, but Few. the largest chunk is over 90. I was like, come on, let's just be honest. That sucks. Okay? It's bad. They know it's bad. It's why they don't want to practice. It's why they don't go out and play. It's why when they practice, they continue to kind of suck. And so they don't really put any effort because, like, it just, if I don't really put any effort in, if I don't really get any better, then I can't really be all that upset about myself because I didn't really try. And so it's just like, I genuinely feel bad. So I love Op 36. I love what we're doing with our pre elites. I've got more girls. I've got 12 girls and six boys. Wait, pre elites and elites. That's 18. Sorry. I've got 10 girls and eight boys. Okay. Because I've got, yeah, I think that's right. Got it. Um, so it's basically an even split. But I have all all my pre-elites are girls. And I'm just sitting here going, I'm so excited for these young ladies because guess what? They're not going to be the ones up there anymore that can't break 90. And they're going to have several of them that are going to be able to break 80. And... With my Op 36, our our junior program this last year had more girls in it for the Op 36 than we had boys. And that's so exciting, not because, you know, I think we should teach more girls than boys, but the fact that I'm giving them the opportunity to be exposed to Op 36, things that they can build genuine confidence, get stronger. They don't have to continue to be, like, way behind all of the other kids, like all the boys, they don't have to be embarrassed walking up there. And the same thing for the guys. Like a couple of these young men were struggling to get through Op 36, and now they're in the pre elites and they're learning how to control their body. One of the young men who's really struggling, there's a kid, there's um, one of the other boys in the class is ahead of him, and he hasn't had anybody out ahead of him, and he's getting smoked. But that's motivated him to work really hard and to watch him really finally commit to changing that motion because he's not the big dog anymore is super cool. So, like, we've got this whole structure top to bottom, and it's cracking the code. It's I got juniors using this practice notebook every time they practice. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I've got a couple of them that are using the Arcos Golf now. And they're, you know, I used to think, you know, why aren't these kids getting better? You know, and I have a number of junior golfers that, you know, you just tend to put the attributes on the kids. Let me just hold my mic. Bummer. Sorry, y'all. Um, but I used to put the impetus on the kids like, oh, they just work so hard. They have such a passion for the game. And while that's true, what about all the others? Have I believed in them as much as I could? Have I pushed them as hard as I could? And pushing these kids through these slow motion swings, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm going, you know what? The reason why they're going to be so good is because I'm showing them they can do stuff and they can do hard stuff. And when it comes time to play in tournaments next year, they're going to have learned how to control their bodies and be in control of their mind because we got 12 mental success things in here that you got to check off every day. Total control of your mind, total control of your body. Like, 
you're not just a product of your environment. It, um, one thing that you said is that, I, and one thing that I think is amazing about your juniors is that you've got peers that are doing the same things. And I know that it would have pushed me to want to be one of the best. And so my question to you is, number one, what have you seen out of those groups? And number two, if you take our example from earlier, and let's say you have those two gentlemen and me doing that putting drill again, what do you think happens the second time? Do you think anything different happens? I'm going to answer the second question first. I think you'll see them play better in the second one. The second time around. I would agree. I'm I think you'll you're... see the adjustment. Yeah. Because I think all it will take will be a glance from me and be like, uh, come on. Like, let's change it. And um, they'll be able to do it. I'm giving them permission to be what they're great at being, which is adapters and learners. They're great. Kids are awesome at it. I'm just trying to give them the freedom to be able to do that again before they go off to college and become adults and suck at learning again. And so, you know, humans are, you know, chiefly a learning animal. That's what makes us so amazing. No other creature in the world learns like we learn. It's so cool. <laughs> like, we can just about do anything, by and large. And so, A, that was, what was the first question? Just it was kind of a, oh, a similar question, but like, what have you seen from these juniors? And I, I know that there's very different types of people as well, but I'm curious what you've seen as far as kids who want to push themselves as hard as they can, people who are trying to pay, play catch up because they just want to be better or they want to beat the next person. What have you observed from these? I mean, we'll call them kids. Yeah. You know, what, what have you learned from these kids and their tendencies as far as? their competitiveness um so one of the boys in the class like i'm trying to get him to change a move a fairly significant movement in his motion and he kind of struggled with it struggled with it would kind of get it but not really and then i explained to them the uh one to three one or one to three to five ratio of like incorrect to correct reps and i put them i put him side by side with the better kid uh and I said, all right, for each incorrect rep you make, you could take one step in that direction. For each, did I say it correct? Or inc incorrect rep, you make three steps backwards. For every correct rep you make, you make one step forward. And the kid that was the better player made an incorrect rep and he had to take three steps back. And the kid that made the correct rep, correct rep who was the weaker player who struggled to get to change, he was the one who actually changed it. And I pointed out something to him after we stopped that exercise because he was way out ahead of the other kid. It was so cool. It's like, really? I got that wrong? I was like, yeah. I'm more critical of your error than I am of his because you're further along. Yours is actually a lot simpler. His is like a whole big giant backswing change motion. Yours is one little thing out of your pressure in your left foot. And you couldn't change that. And once he got behind, then he kicked it in. But the kid who got, like, as soon as I put him in a challenge, I was like, you don't do well unless you have a challenge. Like, has anybody ever told you that? I was like, yeah. if you think back to like, Gosh. do you ever like play in things you're not really doing very well and then when somebody puts something on the line, you turn it on? Oh, it's so me. That's like, that's me. <laughs> Which is what happened today. Yeah. Right. And so not everybody thrives in that environment, yeah. but every great performer has some of that and it has this ability to flip a switch and just go. Like, kick it into another gear. And the way you learn that is to be in those opportunities and environments where you have the chance to do that. And then the other kid, once he got behind, he was like, man, I got to catch up. The problem is once you get behind, it's one one correct rep only moves you forward one. Oh, my you're, God, yeah. You're nine steps back of the kid who's made three correct ones. You're 12 steps back. If he keeps making correct reps, you're not going to catch him. You can't catch him. Mm -hmm. And so... Part of the other educating point, so it's kind of neat to see some different personalities well, that's in why, that environment, which that's is cool, kind of cool. Uh, so, well, yeah, the personality thing cool is cool, and that's what I think I really observed in the putting drill too. Because if you miss one, you go back, right? And so, let's say that you're on the ten foot putt. Let's say you make the ten foot putt, you go to the eleven foot putt. You miss one, you miss the eleven foot putt, you get frustrated, so you go back to the ten foot putt. You're still frustrated. You miss the ten foot putt, you go back to the nine foot you're putt. Even more frustrated. You're even more frustrated. And then that's what I observe from from the two gentlemen is that I I looked up 
first of all, I didn't even notice them after I got past like the eight foot putt. No, I and then tell. I looked up just to like take a breather and calm myself for a bit. And I was like, they're, they're hitting the four foot putt again. <laughs> and I'm like, what happened guys? And, and I think that is the difference too, between these high performers and, and not is that what did I, and again, I, I'm really, I feel, it sounds like I'm pumping myself up, but well, I, really, I think there's a, there's really constructive thoughts to this is when yeah. I got to that 10 foot, I, I stopped for a second and I thought this 10 foot putt was actually a straight putt that was uphill. And so really all you had to do was just line it up right next to the cup and give yourself the pace. And so, but I realized that and it was actually a freedom to me to, to go back and execute on that one every it's single literally time. It's just a straight putt. It's literally a straight putt. But what's the difference? The difference is how you compose yourself after you miss the 11 foot putt. Yeah. And that's because, one thing that they right. weren't able to do in that once in that one situation. Well, and you know, I'm looking forward to see what they put in their practice notebooks because I'm hoping they're putting some things like, man, Jack comes into this thing, he's like way over there, and like I'm just like frustrated that he's over there and I'm not, and I'm a better golfer than he is. Why is he over there? Why am I back here? Like I want to see those kind of because I know it's in your head. I know you're like, why did I? Uh, I can't miss a six footer. I'm gonna be even further behind. I can't miss a five footer. I'm all the way back here on four. Jack's over there. He's had three attempts at the nine footer already. What the heck? What happened? What am I doing wrong? And, but that frustration. And this is back to bringing Hank. You know, I'm hitting like every person in this podcast that I've ever done anything <laughs> with, or recently, or in the past. But Hank used to say, "Frustration is the enemy of concentration." Oh, it's so good, dude. We've got so many like little nuggets <laughs> I know, tonight. I know. Frustration is the enemy of concentration. You cannot yeah. concentrate if you're frustrated. Now, when you and this is why this is why Caesar Caesar Milan. This is why Caesar Milan does so well. Like when the dog has a pan whether the owners do, they all panic and they get frustrated. It's like he's never uncalm and like dude his they, heart rate doesn't go above like 70 the entire I know, time i know they uh one of the ones there are these uh this family and the girls they all had dogs and they let one of the dogs out that's bites a lot and is really dangerous and he said let the dog out into this like little foyer <laughs> and she's like i just don't want you to get bit and he looks at her he's like do you know who i am <laughs> like do you know who I am? Like, I'm not worried about getting bit. Let the dog out. Some of the badass parts, too, is if you watch some of those episodes and he's dealing with, like, a Rottweiler or, like, a pit bull or some of right. that stuff, and he'll get bit, and that guy stays stone cold the entire time, and the camera will pan to his hand, and his hand is just dripping blood. And he is just there, and he's holding the dog's neck, like, which is... If you know dog behavior, it's actually a submissive thing, and they're That's not correct. harming the dog. But you'll just you'll watch him. He's holding the dog's neck. His hands just dripping blood, and then the dog calms down and like starts panting in like a playful way. And you're like, dude, what are you do <laughs> like? Who are you? That's why they call him the dog whisperer. I know, yeah. But it's just leadership. It's leadership. That's it's all leadership. it is. And but but the moral of that story is just staying calm under pressure and not right. letting the the the. The, the weight of the situation cloud your judgment, cloud your way of thinking, cloud your your path to success. Correct. And the better you get in small ways, and so this is back to the exercise for cracking the code of stopping in position one, is you can do that. Like, you're not going to get frustrated there. If I ask you to do the whole motion you keep screwing it up, you're going to get frustrated there because you don't have enough control yet. And so I'm actually building confidence in the ability to control bink, 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 bink. People are like, well, that's so simple. I was like, why do you discount any success? What, what is that? Do you want to just be miserable and suck? Stop it. Stop telling yourself you can't do stuff. Like, you don't get a... So we're back to the no mulligans. So, like... We don't get redos. You can't go back and undo that. Foreshadowing. Yeah. You don't get to redo that negative thought. Like, you don't get to go back, erase that, and start it over. So don't start it. Don't discount it. Like, move it forward. You, once it's out in the air, it's, it's now you spoke it and you heard it. You thought it, you spoke it, and you heard yourself say it. That is like, it's the triple threat, and you're done. Three strikes, you're out. One thing that um, baseball. How many other things can I bring in? We're forty-eight minutes into this podcast. I know we really we're Should going. Should we go for, for forty-eight it. more? <laughs> Jocko goes for like three hours. Those are 
Anyway, well, that's another can of worms. <laughs> but uh, one thing that my team leader uh, brought up, and for Ooh. those of you who don't know, I'm a I'm a real estate agent, and so my team leader, who's had a lot of success in the in in real estate, he brought up this awesome nugget the other day during our team meeting, and he was talking about uh, I won't go into it all, but the 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 principle was is that you will never succeed if you are afraid of fear. It feels like a double negative. But if you are afraid of fear, okay, you will never you will never succeed mm-hmm. because the people who are afraid of feel are, are are afraid of failing and therefore they're not willing they can't fail to then learn to then be successful. This is it's super twisted in some. No, ways. no, no, I, I got you. I'm following. But, but I'm it tracks, right? Like if you're afraid of being afraid, then like. You're done. Yeah. I, and it's totally normal to, to feel afraid. There's a lot of situations where we feel afraid. But if you're able to be afraid and realize that, okay, I'm scared. What can I do to then move out of this, to then become better, to then not be afraid? This is the golf knowledge you didn't know you needed podcast. Well, and, and I want you to check me on this because is, is what I'm saying, does that make sense yes, in does. ways too? It so, does. like, I think that was really powerful for me to hear because – it's okay to be afraid, but it's how you deal with being scared. Absolutely, and being, being afraid. afraid is normal. Like, if we go into any sort of traumatic event, like there is some fear involved. You know, like when when a doctor has a patient coming in that's coding, there's a fear they're going to lose them. There's not like you can't separate yourself as a human being from that. You can learn how to numb it. Maybe if you're in that environment all the time, but you can't, you're not actually fully ignoring it. Like you're still, it's still in there. You've just learned how to let that fear be there and just keep moving. Especially in, um, and a lot of my analogies include baseball, but you know, you you got me. You You got me. I know. So a lot of these people or a lot of these hitters, like let's just take, for example, David Ortiz, one of the most clutch hitters in the history of baseball. When he, when the lights shine bright, he tends to turn it on and uh-huh. perform. But I would almost guarantee you that there is some part of his brain that is like that is scared of performing in that yeah. in that way. But the difference between the, the people who are clutch and the people who aren't is they have a way of harnessing that fear and translating it into success. Did you know that the hormones that are released in fear and excitement the exact same. They're the same hormones. Oh my god! Yeah. That's now there's so also some cortisol involved when you're afraid, so right, you could right, have a stress right. hormone going. But you, but like, they're basically the same thing. Like I'm nervous. No, you're excited. So if you change the word in the language, it's li- like if I think about getting ready to go to a concert I've wanted to go to, you get butterflies in your stomach. Well, think about this too. And you're not even you're not even on stage. You're just excited to go. I know. It, but it's the same thing as going to the first tee, playing in a tournament. It's the exact same, like, you have the exact same physical experience. And think about this, too. Think about it. When And, and this could be a little far-fetched, but I'm going to say it anyway. It, when you have, let's just say. <laughs> we're 52 minutes into this. Let's whatever. just say you have a very committed relationship between between two people, right? And let's say you're going to ask somebody to marry you, right? If if you're in a very committed relationship, oh no, no, but if you're <laughs> if you're in a committed relationship and and let's say you're going to propose to the other person and let's say things are going well, let's say you're not just going to like surprise her off the rip like a month. She knows in, right? you've gone and looked at like, you, You've done it all. You've done it all right. And so everybody will be like, "Man, I'm really nervous." No, like you're excited. Like I don't think you're nervous. Like she's not going to say no. You know, exactly. like. You're just excited. You're both gone. You've gotten the rings. You know you're going to get married. You, hopefully you've had the conversations beforehand, like yeah. all the kind of stuff. You've already talked yeah, to yeah. the parents. They're oh all for God. it. Yeah, yeah. But it's you're like, still like, <laughs> yeah, you still have right. all those like. Right. And so I think what we're doing is some of this, some of these examples are kind of far-fetched, but I think they're they're really great because it, it, it lets the listener, you guys out there listening, it's giving you guys multiple situations to where you can right. then channel these emotions because it's not just golf. It's not just golf. It's right. in every right. part of life. Right. Well, and this is where cracking the code to me is so exciting because, you know, I've kind of already talked about how much, like, they suck at doing just a basic skill. And my juniors make hit the ball too far when they go super slow-mo the first time. Like, everybody fails at it. I have no problem with you failing at it. What I'm so excited for you to see is even in the failure of the most basic thing, you learn how to control the most basic thing. And, and you learn how to control your entire environment. And when guess what humans feel like when they're in control? 
Guess what kind of behaviors people, when they feel like they're in control, they're happy, they're positive, they're confident, they're generous, they're they're humble. Like, there's so many positive character traits that come when people are in control, when people feel out of control, when dogs are out of control. Like, a dog that feels out of control is a nervous dog, is an anxious dog, is a dangerous dog. A human that is feels like they're out of control and they're nervous, like... Somebody who's nervous can't be trusted. Like, if you give off nervous energy all the time, you're saying, I'm not trustworthy, don't. And so when a coach comes up to a player with three holes left to play and the player's playing great, the message you're sending, intentionally or not, the message you're sending is, I don't believe in you. Uh, and, and even the more message that you're sending is, I don't believe in myself. Right. In your own head. Uh-huh. And right. so now you have both a coach and a player that don't believe that they can do it. And now you've got yourself a recipe for disaster. That's when we bring on this gentleman for um, later in November that we're going to do on leadership. We're going to bring up the college coaching stuff. Um, I really think I can be a a helpful tool there. But um, how do I want to wrap this up? Um, I don't know. Let's just keep talking. Um, (laughs) No, well, uh, the one thing that I was going to say just to wrap us up here is that what I think we've encapsulated in this episode is is – some of the core principles of how to learn and how to gain confidence, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you guys are here at the bridge or you guys are listening from out of state or out of country too, I mean, I just think there's so much power in breaking yourself all the way down so that you can build yourself all the way back up. And there's little things that you can do every single day in order to do that. It just so happens that this cracking the code class is an organized way to do that in a specific area with golf. But I think there's many, many ways that we can all analyze our lives and figure out uh, even just through journaling, so what are some situations to where I feel uncomfortable? I feel scared. I feel like I can't do it. It could be excited, nervous. But one thing that I've learned throughout journaling, and this is kind of where I want to end it, is that you learn how your brain thinks when you journal, when you think about a situation that's scary, and then you can break it down to the point where you're like, oh, that's all it is? Oh, I can just fix that, and I'm I'm mm-hmm. good to go. And I think that's what you're doing with your students. Yeah. And so that's how I'd want to wrap it up. Yeah, and it's just learning how to slow down. Yeah, yeah. Like what you said before about inter- the entertainment piece—that's huge. I yeah. would encourage everybody to think more and try and consume and be entertained less. Yes, and like there, Jordan Peterson talks about the like three highest levels of thought or intellect is the first one is thought because there's no checks on it. You can't remember it. There's no checks on it. There's nobody to check you on it. You can't check you on it because you're just kind of in your head. And people are like, I'm so in my head. I was like, well, write it down. You won't be in your head anymore. Uh, two is speaking, so podcasting, talking with other people because you can be checked on it. Like, I can correct you if you're wrong or if I have a different opinion. So, like, your own opinion can be checked and held in in balance and be critical and be more aware instead of be biased. And so then the third one... And learn different ways to, to think, too, based yeah. on the person that so you're talking to. So that's the low, lowest, medium, and then the highest level is actually writing. Oh, yeah. Because it's permanently written down, and then as you write it, you kind of look critically at it and go, mm, no, I don't actually mean that. What do I really mean? And then you have an editor look at it and the editor checks it and it may just be your own journal, but you go back and you look at it. Like it's one of the challenges is if you have people that you trust, it's like if you're journaling thoughts is to actually share that with somebody and let them look at it because they're going to help check you on it and you're going to have to give it to them and go, yeah, this is just actually how I feel. I'm just really upset. I need somebody to hear it. And they actually can kind of help you work through the truth of what the situation is. And just at the moment that you're handing it to somebody, there's more accountability to it. So you are more critical of what it is. And he said that's the highest level of of intellect is I writing. It. I love it. And it's not I'm not talking about me writing, but like when you write, you retain, you're critical, you edit, you consume. And so just this whole process, this notebook, you can uh you can find the notebook on Amazon. And we will have, uh, if you're listening to this th- thus far, you will have always already listened to an intro that we've pre-recorded talking about what this book is. So we haven't spoken a lot about it during this podcast, and that's because uh, you guys have already heard the promo at the beginning. So um, as you've been thinking about this, I, I hope that you've figured out ways 
how um, ways and where the golfer's playbook can help you. So I think that's where we should end it right there. I think so. Cool. Well, that was a fun one. That was a super fun almost one. Almost got to an hour. We almost got to an hour. Maybe by the time I do the outro, we'll be there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. Ooh, we and if you are... listen in. What's, what's that? If you're listening in. Okay. And you come see me. If you listen to the entire end of this thing. Ooh, all the way to here, right yep. here. You have to come and say this one thing to me. Goose poop. <laughs> okay. Find me and come say goose poop if you listen all the way to the end. That's really good. Okay. And is it, it could be a surprise what they get. Yep. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Cool, cool, cool. I love it. Well, uh, yeah, again, guys, thank you so much, so much for listening to the Champions Playbook podcast. We are going to be rebranding here this winter. So come 2023, we might have some new stuff for you. Um, hopefully some new places where you guys can uh, can listen and watch and a interact. Logo. A new logo, everything like that. Possibly a new name. So uh, you all stay tuned to that. Although if you've listened to our last podcast, you might have gotten a sneak peek at some of the stuff that we are coming down the pipe with. So uh, stay tuned for us here. Follow Scott on Instagram at Golf. Uh, that's where you guys can really... Uh, see what we got what we're doing here and if you guys want to come in and sit in the studio and listen to the podcast live you're more than willing to do that as well so we're here uh hopefully every other wednesday if not every wednesday so we'll be here for you guys uh to come catch the podcast remember to look us up on youtube that is going to be the champions playbook yep and as well as apple and spotify podcasts uh so if you guys are are listening to this on the audio form on apple podcasts or spotify if you're on apple make sure you give us a five star and uh rate the podcast actually write something that's awesome it helps us um when people just search golf podcasts in the search bar and then if you're on spotify make sure that you follow the podcast and uh just keep up with us over there so we really appreciate you guys thanks so much for listening to this episode of the champions playbook and we'll see you on the next one peace